Hi, everyone. You're listening to In the Open, a podcast by Mental Health America, where we talk all things mental health related. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Teresa um, in the open. America's not here today, but I have a guest, Kevin. And I just want to give a warning for everyone that because we did a last minute swap, um, Kevin and I have hodgepodged this audio together. (laughs) Uh, Today, we're going to talk about what mental illness do I have? And we have a guest today, Kevin. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. I'm Kevin. I work at Mental Health America. I manage the content on our mental health screening website. Um, So it's mostly psychoeducational content and a few resources, um, DIY tools for people to help themselves improve their mental health, as well as get connected with professional treatment and peer services, talking to other people with lived experience. So as an organization, if, you know, you're like, if people are like, what is Mental Health America? But as a, as a nonprofit organization, we, we have staff who live with mental health challenges. And that's a big part of what's important for us, like at our company, right? So, you know, I've talked a lot about the mental health problems that I have, but we're here today for you and I both to just talk about what this experience has been like with struggling with our own mental illness and, and probably getting diagnosed which is specifically like, is that the question you think people struggle with when they ask like, what what mental illness do I have? Is it about clarifying what's happening in their brain and what diagnosis they have? Well, I think it's a matter of answering the question that people are actually asking, but also answering the question that people are trying to ask, but don't know how to ask. Like it's one of those layered questions where On the one hand, it's like, how do I figure out what diagnosis fits me? And then on the other hand, is having a diagnosis useful? When is it useful? Is that where you should be putting your energy? Because on the one hand, it's like, do you really want to know what mental illness you have? Or ultimately, do you want to know how do I feel better? And knowing what mental illness you have is a stepstone to feeling better. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of both nuances in there. So why don't we just start with when when you ask this question of yourself, what tell me a little bit about what that process looked like for you when you were as you were as you were growing up. (laughs) So when I was a kid, I always knew. I mean, yeah, I pretty much always knew there was something wrong with me, but I didn't really know what I was depressed, but it never quite seemed to really capture what exactly was wrong with me. So it was when I took a psychology class in high school, and I'd I'd already met with a couple of therapists briefly, but they were, I wouldn't say they were the best therapists, so they weren't really the most helpful in helping me dig deep and figure out what was really wrong. Uh So it wasn't until I took a psychology class in high school and learned about generalized anxiety disorder that I was like, oh, that describes all sorts of things that the label of depression didn't describe. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the first time that, and it wasn't even a doctor like asking me about my symptoms and, and diagnosing me. It was just a PowerPoint slide <laughs> that I saw <laughs> and they kind of diagnosed myself in my high school psychology class. And that was a really big moment for me because it was like, suddenly I realized that there's not just one thing. You're, it's not just you're either depressed or you're fine. Yeah. 
Tell me though, is how old were you when you first at, like knew something wasn't quite right? I had to have been seven because so my parents got divorced when I was six. I was I was raised in the Mormon church, and in the Mormon church, you're baptized when you're eight. Uh huh. And I told my mom and my like church leaders that I didn't want to do it because I felt like something was wrong and I didn't feel like I was ready to do it at age seven. Yeah. <laughs> so I postponed that because I knew something was wrong. And it's not that I was better by the time I actually went through with it, but that like, that's why I remember that age that I must've been. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember around, this is so wild. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure the first time I verbalized out loud in my head, like I wanted to die, I was eight. But it was probably the case that well before that, I was like, this is not okay. Like, whatever are my thoughts. But like, when you're a little kid, how do you even make, like, I think of a, being an adult now, and I'm like, I'm positive that at six or seven, I did not even have words to describe that I did not feel okay. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of very unhelpful experiences with adults who should have known better. So my my mom is kind of anti-psychology. I saw a child psychologist, but it turned out that she was like friends with my dad and was maybe using our sessions to spy on our family instead of oh actually help me. That's, that's alleged, but... I don't remember ever actually talking about mental health. <laughs> that is awful. And then in sixth grade, I would just start crying spontaneously in the middle of class. And obviously that was pretty humiliating as a sixth grader. And uh, one time my teacher pulled me out into the hallway and basically told me to man up and like grow up and like you can't be doing that in school <laughs> like sending me to the school counselor was not even did not even come up as an option so so I realized that I had anxiety in high school and that label pretty much for the most part served me for a good 10 years okay I don't know I had this vague sense that when people described ADHD symptoms I was like that sounds familiar but it it just somehow like I was well into adulthood before it ever crossed my mind that that might be a label that could apply to me yeah. for some reason. I don't I don't even remember why. I guess I didn't realize that PTSD was something that could happen to somebody who experiences just normal day-to-day family-based trauma or like bullying, like things like that. I didn't know that that could cause PTSD symptoms. Yeah. So I I didn't really think about that. And and basically Anxiety was just good enough for me until close to the end of college when I just stopped being able to function. I, I had I had basically been able to skate through school by being I'm smart in the very specific way that makes me good at like standardized tests. So I I got really good scores on like the ACT and the SAT and always did well in finals and I'm a good writer. I'm really bad at sitting down and making myself write. So I would always write my papers the night before they were due, but then I would always get good grades on them. And it and it was it was good enough to get me through school until I my graduation was delayed. It took six years to graduate. And by the end of it, I was just burnt out. 
I was terrified of leaving school and starting adulthood. I always had planned on just jumping right into graduate school because school was what I was comfortable with. And it became clear that that's not what was going to ha- like, that wasn't what was going to happen. So I couldn't rely on that anymore. I knew I would have to get a job that was terrifying. And I started, I was sleeping like 12 hours a day or more sometimes. And I just couldn't function. And it started to become clear that something about what I had been doing was not enough. And that's kind of when I started talking to more mental health professionals and doctors and kind of throwing out possible labels. There was one point where, speaking of relationship stuff, there was one point where I was I was dating a lot and I was getting really attached to people really quickly and kind of like trying to just glom onto them and get all of my self-worth and functioning from another person. And that was, it was bothering other people. I never actually got close enough to any of these people to really seriously hurt them, I don't think. But it was like, okay, if I ever did get close to this person, I was acting that way, I would be hurting them. But also it was really hurting me just because I was getting so attached to these people and then scaring them away. And Mm -hmm. then I was left alone. What do you mean hurting someone like? Oh, I would get mean. I would get, I would feel rejected. It wasn't even necessarily that they would reject me. They would do something that made me feel like I was being rejected. And then I would kind of get snappy. Like it was not appropriate. And I knew it. And I, but I couldn't seem to control myself. So for a while I, I had heard of like borderline personality disorder. And I was like, maybe I have that. Yeah. And I talked to a therapist about that. And she was like, mm, you, you don't have that. Yeah. But at the same time, because I was so fixated on this idea that I might have it, I started looking into dialectical behavior therapy, which was designed to treat borderline personality disorder. And a lot of those workbooks and exercises and things, I was also working in an addiction treatment center at the time and coming up with lesson plans. So I I was using those as lesson plans um, for my clients and sort of like treating myself while treating somebody else and using this treatment that was for something that I thought I had, but didn't. But the treatment was so helpful for me. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of helps, experiences like that kind of help shape this attitude I have towards a diagnosis where it's like a diagnosis is useful to the extent that it can give you information about what tends to help other people who are experiencing similar problems to you. Yeah. The thinking that I had something that I didn't have opened yeah. me up to a type of treatment that I wouldn't have considered otherwise that ended up helping me a lot. Yeah. And ultimately, it doesn't really matter whether I had borderline personality disorder or not what matters is that thinking about that label in that moment in time helped me to find something that actually helped yeah if i had to ask you today what mental illnesses do you what are the labels that you have today that help you and do you think that in five years those labels are going to change oh that's a good question so the labels that i use now that i feel like are helpful i still use anxiety i've never dropped that label that's i would say probably the main thing has mm-hmm. always been the main thing I guess if you think of insomnia as a specific mental illness I would count that uh, obviously that's tied in with anxiety and can be can be related to anxiety but the times in my life when I've had trouble sleeping don't necessarily line up perfectly with the times when I've had anxiety so I do think about those as separate problems okay and then last year I was diagnosed with ADHD finally and I do think that that really helps explain a lot of things about my life and the advice that 
people give to people with ADHD is really helpful for me. And I have been taking Adderall and I've felt that that's been really helpful in some ways. And there are some ways where I was hoping it would be helpful and it hasn't been. And I've just kind of had to accept that there are some things that medication can do and some things that it either can't do or like I just haven't found the right thing or whatever. But I hesitate to to be like, yes, I'm sure I definitely have ADHD because I've said that so many times about so many different things and then later on come to question it. So I, I do think that anxiety and insomnia are definitely here to stay. I don't think there's ever going to be a time in my life when I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I used to think I had anxiety, but I, I was totally wrong. I don't think that's ever going to change. ADHD, I feel pretty confident about. I do, okay. because there have been so many times in my life when I've wondered if I might have it. Uh-huh. You're actually bringing up a couple of things I feel like we've touched on in the last couple of episodes. So you mentioned PTSD because anxiety always trips me up, right? Like I always knew I had anxiety and our family, my family comes from heavy drinkers, probably to self-medicate anxiety. And then I have like family who've experienced trauma, others who don't experience trauma and they have anxiety. So I'm like, okay, anxiety is in my family, regardless of trauma. But you mentioned PTSD, and I feel like I really did not quite understand or claim the label of PTSD until, like, the last couple years. Isn't that wild? Yeah, I mean, I still struggle with whether or not to claim that label, because I've definitely experienced a lot of trauma, and it definitely affects my behavior, in ways that could be, you could lump that under anxiety, right? Like, oh, well, these are anxieties that I have because of experiences that I've had in the past. That's generally, I would say, why most people have anxiety about things. It's usually about something that you had some bad experience with. Yeah. And so then it's like, well, is anxiety even any different than PTSD? Are they just the same thing? Like, is it, and it, and it, I guess, I guess I just don't worry so much about that anymore because it's like, if I labeled myself with PTSD, would I do anything differently? And I don't think I would. I think that in some sense, it there's like a validation aspect to it where it's like, if I'm like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not, nothing I've been through has been bad enough for me to say that I have PTSD. Like then I'm sort of gaslighting myself and, and saying like, well, my problems aren't bad enough. So that's a problem. I love your question. Like if I knew or put that label on myself, would I do anything different? Cause I definitely asked that question and mostly because my therapist pushed me pushes is pushing me to do like really hardcore PTSD related tr- treatment. And I'm like, I'm like dragging my feet, even though I'm a therapist, I'm like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to hardcore stay in denial. Like I put a cap in this crap, like I'm functioning fine. Why would you unearth that? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm functioning. <laughs> I don't know. And, and But I had to really wrap my head around like, why, why is it easier for me to say, oh, I have anxiety, but it is so painful to say, oh, I have PTSD. And so much of that is part of, I, I've, I've identified as like acknowledging the pain of what I've been through because it's also bound up in like feeling bad and protecting family members, which is so sick, mm, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. You don't want to say that this family member traumatized you. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, like feeling bad, you know, because like, I don't know, I also just, it's not like, it's not so easy as like, oh, these people are bad and they traumatized you. Like you're, no, like 
that's where especially like I think like intergenerational trauma comes in like if I if I have to make sense of why pain happened in order to heal I have to see how people who hurt others come from hurt places mm-hmm. and like that's so bound up in that I don't know if the same thing happened for for you in terms of why you're not you're not leaning into the PTSD label you know right I mean it so I guess like what I want to emphasize is that we've both worked in the mental health field for a very long time, (laughs) struggled with mental health issues our entire lives since we were, what, seven? Yeah. You said seven also. That's like, and and maybe even earlier, that's the earliest I remember (laughs) having a conscious awareness of it. That doesn't mean it's the first time that I actually like dealt with a mental health issue, but it's 26 years of living with mental health problems and I decided to study psychology when I was in high school and so I've been studying psychology and reading about mental health and now writing about mental health for years and I still don't have a 100% answer for what I do or do not have. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. (laughs) and, and Yeah, and I think that there's value in that ongoing process of thinking about things that I may or may not have and kind of evaluating that. I think that that helps me understand myself yeah. and it helps me, it helps nudge me towards treatments that may or may not be helpful. But at the same time, I, I, I do think that when, at least for a certain type of person who, you know, wants to know things and wants to be able to label things, when you're just starting out and you realize that you have a mental health concern, you think that it's a process where it's step one, figure out what's wrong with me, and step two, get treatment. Yeah. Go to a doctor. Doctor tells you what you have. Doctor elucidates all the light. Doctor gives you treatment, fixes life, go home. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, and I think that in that sense, that can kind of delay getting the help that you need because you're like, well, I don't know what I have yet, so... I can't treat it. Like, what if yeah. I'm getting treatment for the wrong thing? And that that's a real thing. You know, if you, oh. if you have, for example, ADHD and you're misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder, which happens a lot, and you're taking mood stabilizers, that's not going to help with your ADHD and you're getting an unhelpful treatment. You know, I, like, I, I'm pretty sure I don't have ADHD, but there are a lot of weird things around, like, attention problems and concentration that's along with like anxiety and PTSD. And so like when you were kind of struggling with your like, do I have ADHD stuff? You know, every time somebody comes in your life, like ask that question, like, hey, do I have this issue? You're like, oh, do I? what's going on there? Like, do I relate? How, in what way? And I was like, I definitely don't have ADHD. But man, there were a lot of things that you were saying where I was like, dude, what you're describing, I relate to, but I just know that it's not the label that feels right for me. Right. And, and addiction is another weird label because when I was working in addiction treatment and and teaching classes me just saying addiction is a mental illness was news to probably 80 percent of the people that I was talking to even even some of my coworkers at that place didn't think that addiction was a mental illness and they were treating it as a behavioral problem and not understanding that for a lot of people probably even most people addiction is if anything, a symptom of another underlying mental illness, like more often people are self-medicating for depression or anxiety or whatever than that they're like actually biologically hooked on that specific substance. But yeah, just understanding like this is a mental health problem and 
it's usually at least goes along with is comorbid with another mental health condition if not the thing yeah like, that is the at thing, the center you know? of why we use addictive substances and it's interesting i think that there are a lot of important things there about the intersection of substances that do help you figure out what mental health challenge like when i real like when i took an, a, an approach where i'm like okay why do i love alcohol like why do i not like other drugs like it did help it helped mm -hmm. me understand we, the way my brain worked um insomnia i think that's mm -hmm. really interesting because insomnia is like a symptom in the dsm that they were like oh people with depression have insomnia but people with ptsd also have sleep problems yeah i have talked in the past about like i had periods of insomnia when i especially felt unsafe and then other people I know we've interviewed have been like, well, I had insomnia and then I also took substances and that really like locked in the insomnia. How do you describe your relationship with insomnia? I, I've had it for my entire life. I've had just such a weird relationship with sleep my whole life. And it hasn't, it hasn't always correlated with other mental health symptoms. It's just complicated because the other possibility is that it's a physical health problem. If I have some undiagnosed physical problem that's preventing me from sleeping. Mm -hmm. Well, sleep deprivation can cause mental illness or can worsen mental illness. You know, like you can become depressed if you're sleep deprived. Yeah. That's kind of why I treat it as a separate thing because it's such like a cyclical relationship. My insomnia feeds my anxiety and my anxiety feeds my insomnia. Which one came first? I don't know. Which one is going to solve the other one? I don't know. I have to think of them as separate but related problems. I feel like it's such an unresearched area specifically. Like they kind of tack on insomnia as like a symptom of X. But mm -hmm. what you just described to me explains like another complicated problem, which is like every time we talk about a diagnosis, like we come in and we dump all of our problems on a doctor. And then they're like, well, we have to rule out that you have a physical health problem. But there are some physical health problems that doctors literally don't have a label for, right? Mm -hmm. I think when I think about our research and the work that we do here, I I really think that we have to change the way we label mental illness and not have these weird categories that we've made up and allow for space where I'm like, okay, well, let me understand that sometimes I can have strange or bizarre thoughts. Like, does that mean that I have psychosis? maybe but in this way <laughs> yeah and because i think those labels also create that dichotomy and 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 then pit people against one another where mm -hmm. i'm like okay well i have these thoughts and i can't explain them but now i feel guilty because i don't solidly have it like that person and so i can't give myself that label right ultimately the point of labeling yourself with a mental illness is so that you can either treat it or adapt to it there's some problems that you can't fix and you just have to be like, okay, well, I know, for example, ADHD, it's not curable, right? You can't just be like, oh, well, I, I don't have that anymore. Right. It's an ongoing problem where you have to adjust to it. And you have to be like, okay, well, I know that I'm always going to have a hard time with deadlines. So what am I going to do? Am I going to have someone that I'm accountable to who helps me with reminders? Am I going to have a reminder system in my phone? Am I just going to avoid certain types of jobs where certain types of deadlines are always required and I just know that I that's always going to be difficult for me like you do what you can to treat it and then you do what you can to adapt and to the extent that labeling 
your mental illness helps you with that, it's good. And to the extent that it gets in the way of that, it's bad, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I think that's a great place to land, you know, to end today. I love that we had this discussion. Um, what mental illness do I have is a very complicated discussion. Yeah. And I like it's so I feel it's very typical for MHA to land on there's no right answer to this. Yeah. And that what you have to lean into is the journey and not feel bad that you don't have a label or you don't have clarity. Yeah. Because that is the only answer. You know, if it feels good, it's the right answer. And it's okay that to say that that's the right answer for now and things might change. So for somebody who's, I, I can I can see somebody who's struggling with this question, listening to this episode and being like, this is the least helpful thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in a place where you know something is wrong, but you don't know what it is and you're trying to get answers, you want to talk to other people about it to get some clarity. And there's a few different groups of people that you can talk to who can help you with that. One group is other people with lived experience with mental health. So people yeah. who can say, this is what I've experienced. This is how I label it. This is what I do to treat it. And this is why it works for me. Yeah. You can do that if you know friends or family members who struggle with with the same things. Family members can be really valuable if you have a family member who you feel comfortable talking about it with because they have similar biology to you. And that's yeah. one component yeah. of things. People tend to make friends with people who have similar experiences. And so people with anxiety tend to have a lot of friends with anxiety, etc. So talking to friends can be really valuable. Going online and, and looking at forums so reddit can yeah. be very helpful it can also be very unhelpful so you have to take you have to take <laughs> online stuff with with a grain of salt but it can it can be one piece of the puzzle you know you you can go yeah. on there and you can see people answering very specific questions that your friends or family might not really know about and you can go you can go on to places like reddit or or mental health america's inspire forum and you can ask specific questions you can say this is what i'm experiencing and yeah can somebody help me? Yeah, um, yeah. And then, of course, mental health professionals are the, a good place. This is, like the me this is like the more medically side, which is where our screening yes. program exists, like in like this weird labeling process. Yeah. So you want to find a professional who will treat you as an expert on your own experiences. So they're the yes. expert on what the medical field knows, what the psychology field knows, and you're the expert on what you experience. And yeah. you want to find somebody who will work with you as a team, not somebody who will just get you in and out of their office as quickly as possible or who will, like, talk at you. Yeah. Um, and that can be yeah. difficult. So if you go in and you have a bad experience where you're trying to talk to a mental health professional and they're just kind of talking over you or they're trying to rush you out of the office, get a second opinion like it's always okay to get a second third fourth whatever opinion talk to as many people as you need to as is helpful for you yeah you know we intuitively did this you and I we like you what you studied psychology you knew something wasn't right like I spent a bunch of time at Barnes and Noble reading crap to figure out my head you know I think there's a natural part of our lives where you're like I'm trying to find answers and the beautiful thing about the internet is that God, I did not have that stuff growing up, you know, I couldn't type in like, 
my specific symptoms right now and then be able to get a bunch of articles that's like, hey, this is what this is, this might be. I think the most important thing about finding out what mental illness you have is around empowerment through education and knowledge. Like, Mm-hmm. If you walk into a doctor's office saying like, I know I have X, Y, or Z, and then you start to use the language that they use, it's so powerful. Like, mm-hmm. cause they're like, okay, I'm going to work with you. And that's partly like, because our doctors never have enough time to be able mm-hmm. to help us with all these nuances either. So what mental illness do you have? Maybe starts with like, yeah, learning the labels that people use in a formal system, like how Mm -hmm. medical providers label things, but then like the informal system are all those people that struggle too. And like, it's really cool and helpful for me to also meet a lot of people who would just claim like a lot of different kinds of labels and to, and to see that the way they claim that part of their identity in their recovery process is like so freeing. It's like, forget it. Like, I don't care. I don't care if I have this thing, like this is the way my brain works. Right. Yeah, information is so powerful. And if you're in school, take a psychology class. If you're on the internet, look up articles, Look, read. WebMD can be a dangerous place, but it can also be a very valuable place for information. I, I, think, I think what's important is, and for me, this is kind of just like a broader life philosophy, is like be open to information from any source, but don't take any single source as the absolute source of truth. Because, you know, a therapist is a source of information. A peer is a source of information. A friend is a source of information. A WebMD article is one source of information. You take all of that and you kind of construct this picture of how your mind works and what is helpful for you. And, like, the second you start to be like, okay, well, this one source told me this one thing, and so that's the truth, and anyone who tells me differently is, you know, like, that, that... can be very narrowing and it can close you off to treatment options that might be really helpful for you. Yeah. I love that. All right, Kevin, this has been a cool conversation. We went a lot of different places. Um, (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. And uh, remember to always fight in the open.